up until the semi-final of the 1992 World Cup, New Zealand were rather spectacularly led by everyone's hero Martin Crowe. Then he pulled his hamstring. I'm Karthik Iyer and this week on ESPN Cricket for Stump Mike, Andrew Miller, Gaurav Sundaraman and I look back at Crowe's gamble to sit out his side's defense of 262 versus Pakistan, its impact on the man himself and the legacy he leaves behind. Also, have there been any other such failed punts in world cricket? We do a little digging. See you on the other side. So welcome to ESPN Cricket for Stump Mike yet another episode in lockdown and we've got a very special guest all the way from London in the UK. Andrew Miller, welcome to Stump Mike. Thanks Scotty, how how are we doing over there? Ah, we're doing all right. We're in Bangalore and we hear a lot about Bangalore weather but but it's bloody hot now and I think uh, the other guest who's along with you on on Stump Mike will attest to that as well. Gaurav, it's it's unusually hot, no in Bangalore. Yeah, it is uh, definitely much hotter than normal and uh, since my time at Cooking for it's the first time I'm actually in Bangalore in April May usually I'm in Bombay mm-hmm. uh, doing the I- IPL so uh, due to lockdown I'm actually getting a feel of uh, the Bangalore summer Miller I must confess I ever since I started doing uh, the stump pipe pod I've been wanting to bring you on if not if not for anything it's for one one particular reason now I don't know if you've seen the show Broadchurch I, I well I, I I've not seen it but it was it was filmed near where I grew up Okay, okay. So in that, I think David Tennant and Olivia Coleman play cop buddies, and Olivia Coleman's surname, his name, full name is Emilia Miller, and David Tennant <laughs> spends spends the entire two seasons just shouting Miller, Miller, Miller. <laughs> I actually spent the last five minutes before we came into recording listening to a YouTube video on David Tennant just screaming Miller. I, I just love the way he says it, and that's why Miller, welcome to Stump Mike. Well, thank you very much. Before we get into the cricket, let's we have to have a word about Lola, our favorite cricket cat. How is she doing? <laughs> Lola is very well. She, yeah, she's in she's in retirement from from cat cricket at the moment because uh, basically I, I could I couldn't persuade her to hit a single ball and I kind of ran out ran out of ways to try to tempt her uh, beyond just flinging it straight at her head and uh, I did that a couple of times. She wasn't best pleased, but. Uh, I don't know. I might, I might bring her back for a, a special reunion at some stage. We'll all be waiting for that. And listener, if you don't know what we're talking about, just go on, go on Twitter, go to any of our social feeds, just key in the words cat cricket. Anyway, let's, 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 let's get on with, with the meat of the episode. We, as, as, as you all know, we've been doing a lot of games on Retro Life. The, one of the recent one we did, ones we did over the past weekend was the 1992 World Cup semi-final between New Zealand and uh, Pakistan. Miller, you were one of the people doing ball-by-ball comms on, on, on that match. Firstly, how did the decision come about to pick that match? And I know it's great for a lot of reasons, but how did how did you guys come to the decision that that's the game you're going to go ahead with for this weekend? Oh, well, to be honest, it, it was largely down to uh, a lack of alternatives. We basically trawled, the, trawled our contacts, trawled the internet, trying to find mm-hmm. anyone anywhere who's got a, a full recording of of the match because obviously for ball by ball we need ball by ball and so you know you can you can find all the highlights you like on Twitter but uh, but if you know if you're missing key moments uh, it's very difficult to do it in in the full immersive form and so fortunately Osman Samudin had had some uh, uh, very uh, deep diving friends who who recorded every spit and cough of Pakistan's run to the 1992 title including of course that great game where Inzamal Haq had his had his first. Uh, mighty outing and well we know the rest but um yeah it was it was fantastic obviously did the did the final as well a few weeks back and uh yeah it's certainly one of my earliest memories clearly losing losing the final was uh, was traumatic as an englishman but uh going back to those <laughs> those heady days and the, and the glorious kits and and the and the extraordinary tempo or lack of tempo as it, as it was in those days it's uh it, it took me straight back to being a 13, 14-year-old. Well, that's nice. So set, set the stage for us here. So New Zealand and Pakistan are playing the semi-final. We all know, I mean, all of us, considering this podcast is also oriented towards the subcontinent, we have, we have heard of Pakistan's story in 1992, how they were cornered Tigers and they, they were almost out of the World Cup and then they had to win the last four games to qualify. But New Zealand, New Zealand were the dominant force in the group stages, no? Yeah, dominant is probably not quite the word to put for it. Because what they, what they did, I mean, they were... They were exceptionally canny, and that a lot of that came down to the man we're, we're here to talk about, Martin Crowe. It was uh, first and foremost 
his form was was immaculate. I mean, 450 odd runs in the in the tournament, uh, including a superb century against Australia in the opening match uh, uh, in Christchurch, I think it was. And uh, I mean, that just set the tempo. The Australia versus New Zealand, the two hosts against each other, and New Zealand stole a march and then carried on stealing a march with some incredibly canny tactics. I mean, uh, essentially, Crow realised that his the secret for his side, who were never natural-born world beaters, was to chisel and, and fuddle and cobble together a way, a, a method of, of getting getting through games. And, and of course, his his major part of that was dibbly dobbly wibbly and wobbly. The, the, the sort of the <laughs> medium paces, the, the canny spinners, the you know these guys who took all the pace off the ball. He mixed up his bowling, you know. Have guys coming in from you know, almost almost T20 tactics in in some some extent, sort of one and two over spells, just to make sure that no batsman could ever get set against a given bowler. And suddenly you've got Gavin Larson wheeling away, you know, ten overs for thirty without anyone laying back on him. And by the time anyone wised up to it, the only team who did wise up to it, of course, were, were Pakistan. Um, they were cruising away, top of the league, into the semi-finals and looking. As you say, like like the dominant force, even though they were they took a very roundabout route to, to get there, and and you know a very Im- impressive, um, canny, well thought out route. Mm-hmm. They they won seven out of their eight group stage games. The only team that they lost to in the group stage was their final match of the group stage, which was against Pakistan, the side that beat them in the semi final as well. I would assume it's 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 fair to say that. New Zealand were the favourites. This was at home. This was at Eden Park, and it was a loud Eden Park. Yeah, I think I think they were the favourites. I mean, it, it's hard to it's hard to tell. I mean, obviously, home home advantage. Watching that game back, you could you could hear the the expectation, the the real drama in 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 the crowd. They were they were they were loving it. I mean, obviously, we've had a bit of a a rerun of it more recently in the in the 2015 campaign with uh, mm-hmm. kind of. Bit, bit more dominant side from Brendan Bren McCullum. Obviously, had you know dibbly dobbly wibbly and wobbly had made way for Southie and Bolt, which is a, a step up in class when it comes to the bowling department. But fundamentally, they they were they were the underdogs who came together and got you know obviously having all their games on, on home soil as well meant that the entire country got behind them just as they did um, in 1902. And you know rugby all of a sudden is on the back burner. Everyone's a cricket fan. There's a real momentum mm. building behind the, behind the team, and so there was there are clear parallels between the two stories there the difference of course is that you know that 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 famous uh, semi-final at Auckland in 2015 where um where, where the hairy javelin won it with a six in the in the penultimate ball of of, of um of Dale Stain <laughs> you know they 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 got the result that uh perhaps you know but for an untimely injury to Martin Crow himself they might have got uh all those years earlier and you mentioning the crowd uh, reminds me as well when, when when we see all these old games you know at the end of the game usually the crowd runs on runs onto the field the players are running off i remember i was watching recently highlights again on youtube of the match the opening match against australia of the 1992 world cup new zealand versus australia and this was uh, new zealand batted first and when crow reached his 100 i, I don't remember it happening often if it ever did but was this one of the few times where in the first innings the crowd runs onto the field when the first innings ends? Or was that normal back then? I think it was, to be honest. I mean, I, I see it a lot in... I think we've all been doing it. So in lockdown, mm-hmm. we've all turned to, turned to Rob Belinda's uh, archive and we're all just watching endless YouTube clips. But, you know, back in the day, I mean, I've watched a lot of Brian Lara, for instance, and mm. every milestone he reaches, there's someone on, on the pitch uh, breaking a... So symbolically smashing a record on, on his behalf out in the middle and uh, all the rest of it. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing how quickly things have changed. I mean, obviously, in recent, uh, more recently, boundaries have come in. You know, you have that that health and safety to a degree. The the, the distance behind the boundary is now is now such that that there is that natural gap between the crowd and and uh, and the boundaries edge. I mean, I, I remember mm-hmm. myself uh, storming the pitch, and I think it was late 1996. Uh, it was Dickie Bird's final Test match, uh, Lords, and I, I, I jumped the jump barriers to storm onto the pitch at the end of that game, and, uh, and it was just a done thing, and it, it, it changed really rather quickly, and uh, I, I, to a large degree for the for the worse as well. I rather I rather enjoyed the, the feeling of getting out there and slapping the players on the backs as they leave the field. It's, uh, <laughs> I miss that sort of thing. Goro, I I don't know if this will give away your age, but have you ever run onto the pitch? And slapped any players on the back. It's uh, impossible to do that in India, and if you do that, you're mm-hmm. never uh, going to watch a cricket match again in, in <laughs> India. So I'm never going to uh, take that chance. Uh, but it was interesting to uh, uh, hear 
Miller talk about uh, Crow and one uh, thing we need to mention is about his captaincy. And uh, I, I, my first World Cup, which I uh, saw was the 92 World Cup. And I remember quite a lot of that World Cup for uh, some reason, more than even 2011 or 2015 for mm-hmm. that matter. And uh, it's obviously Crow opening with Deepak Patel and uh, being revolutionary, like Miller said, with Great Batch. And uh, I was actually looking at Great Batch stats and it was... Uh, it was funny that he was never a uh, never a batsman with a very high strike rate before the 92 World Cup and after the 92 World Cup as well. So uh, I, it just was a plan which they had, I think, uh, which was revolutionary. Uh, wasn't similar it, to wasn't what, there a match where Great Batch played out like 400 plus balls to save a Test match? I think at the, was it at the Vaca? I may be getting this wrong, but there was one where he played a really long innings, and to consider him as a Pinch, pinch it or like you said was revolutionary yeah credit has to go to crow and i think miller will be able to tell us more about uh, his captaincy because that's i think that's what was missed a lot uh, in the semi final right totally i mean um, yeah just just talking about your your point about great batch yeah i mean he 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 was renowned for for fairly long innings early, early in his career just looking at his stats here he got a he got 107 from 325 balls in his in his second innings first test against england at auckland and I think the one you were thinking of was at Perth in uh, 1989, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, ten and a half hours of batting to, to wow. save the test, which was uh, extraordinary. But actually, you know, with, you know, looking at his his stats for the World Cup, I mean, you know, obviously the the great birth of the pinch hitter is 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 Jaya Surir and Kalu Karana um, four years later. But you know, the the the, the Birth of the pinch hitter in in realistically was great batches uh, performances. I mean, he actually he wasn't uh, initially in the in the side. He had a terrible run of form. I think it was against England in the lead up. Uh, England, England toured uh, New Zealand for warm ups and, and test matches in uh, in early 1992, just before the World Cup began, and they got stuffed. Um, uh, Ian Botham, who actually his record as a as a one day cricketer was pretty poor. Um, but for a, for a guy of his standards, he actually came up the order to open the batting and got his highest uh, score in, in ODI cricket of 79, which, mm-hmm. again, he never, never got 100. But but that was kind of the first seed was sown there with, with the performance that both of them had against Crow's team. They they were too static. They were too lacking dynamism. They they still had, um, I think, um, they, they were just too samey. And I think Crow realised that there, there, there was a seed of a, of a plan was was sown in in the manner of their defeat by England in the in the in those matches, uh, and it actually was it was an injury to to uh, John Wright that that created the opportunity. Um, Greatback didn't play in the first game. I can't remember who they, uh, didn't play against Australia, of course, in the first game. But then this injury came along, and suddenly there was the opportunity. Right, go on then, up you go, have 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 a, a tonk. And he came came up with the goods of six sixty odds, um, sixty eight from sixty balls. It's not exactly pinch hitting frenetic speed that you might associate with certainly what Jaya Saria was doing four years later. But mm-hmm. compared to the the staid and safe tempos of the era, and you only have to look at the way that um, the the Pakistan went about their batting in the, in the latter stages of the of of the World Cup um, to know that you know just building a platform was absolutely everything to these teams in those days. Having a guy who was willing to smoke sixes over points in in even as you know in the first fifteen overs at any stage was wow this is this is a bit bit full on bit forceful, but it, it set set a template and you know sixty eight from sixty eight from sixty balls and then sixty three from seventy seven against West Indies seventy three from seventy seven against India. 42 from 67 against Pakistan in in their defeat in Christchurch. I mean, it, it, these aren't these aren't pinch hitting tempos, but they were considerably different to anything that any other team was attempting at the time, and the, and they gave they gave um, New Zealand a, an edge that uh, that so nearly carried them all the way. Mm-hmm. I think it was Rod Latham who had opened at the start of the World Cup and then Great Batch came in. But but in this match in particular, in the semi-final, it was it was a slow start. But as you were saying, they were setting the platform. It was Great Batch and Wright. But the two players who actually took New Zealand to 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 a very, very competitive total was Martin Crow and Ken Rutherford. But then something happened at, at 81. Miller, you saw this match recently. Again, you were doing ball by ball for it. What was that defining moment, probably from New Zealand's point of view, that happened when when Martin Crow was batting at 81? Yeah, well, he, he he pulled his hamstring, and it was it was it was obvious from watching the uh, 
the, the moment. I, I knew it was coming when, when I was doing the ball by ball. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I hadn't seen it, obviously, for 28 years. I'd, I'd not really thought about the moment. But you can see in his face the moment he, he, he actually goes for what's actually a pretty simple run. But he's hobbling from the moment he pushes off. I think he's on the back foot and just sets off into the covers. And you can see the grimace. You can almost see the, 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 the faith drain from his face. And he sort of puts his arms behind his back of his head and, and holds his back and grimaces. And, and you, can, you can sense he, he knows it's serious. But equally, he knows that he's in the form of his life. And there and then you can sense the, the gamble taking, taking, taking root in his mind. How am I going to do the needful to, to, to get my team into the final, but also keep myself fit enough to play in the final? Because, you know, this is, we're talking about a country with limited resources as we all know new zealand has not got the population that, that the rest of the, the cricket world does and therefore you know the, the value of key players such as pro and obviously hadley had retired two years earlier so, so mm-hmm. they were lacking the the biggest guns of of, of of the decade really if 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 he wasn't if he proved to be unfit so you know he had to had to find a way to to balance the books even mid-match and um you know he, he was such a strategic calculating flamboyant captain at times that, that you, you know, you would, you'd back him to, to find, find a way to calibrate uh, what was clearly a massive problem for him from that, from that very moment. So at this point, he, he requested a runner. Imran Khan accepted. I think Great Batch himself came out to run for Crow, but Crow was uh, run out for 91, was it? Yeah, it was 91. And then wh- what was the discussion that he had with his physio? New Zealand, of course, went on to make a fairly decent score. They made 260, 62, which, which by that standards was, was probably 300 plus in, in, in current ODI cricket. So New Zealand made a very, very competitive score. But then Crow goes on to say that he had a discussion with his physio. So do, do we know what that discussion was about, that whether his chances of playing the, the, the final would be affected if he took the field? I think, I think yes. I think essentially Mark, Mark Plummer was the physio. I think, I think he, um, he reasoned that, that because of the, the fast finish that they managed to, managed to get, um, obviously Crow didn't, 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 uh, didn't last, last the course, but uh, their tail end managed to get probably 25, 30 runs more than they bargained for him. Bear in mind, you know, at the halfway point, they were, they were about a hundred for two or something. And they were, you know, looking like 210 would be a good, would be a good total to get 262 felt like riches. And so there and then I think he, he decided that, right. Okay. I, my, my decision is final. I am going to back my guys to do the needful against these guys. We've got the runs on the board. If we play the canny game that we played all the way through, um, we're going to get to the final and, you know, with any luck, me sitting in the dressing room with, with ice on my hamstring will get me fit enough to be back on the field in four days time and at the MCG for the biggest moment of my life. So, you know, he made the fatal sportsman's mistake of taking his eye off the, off the ball and, and planning ahead for the glory. But, you know, what else could he do really? I mean, I, I, I don't know. In England, were England were in a strange situation themselves. I mean, they they were they were a tired tired side by the time they got to the final, and that was probably the key part of their defeat against Pakistan. They'd been mm-hmm. they'd been along with New Zealand, the pace setters of the tournament, but both of them was on his last legs. Um, Derek Pringle had had a back problem for the semi final. I mean, he bowled brilliantly in the final, but there was no guarantee that he was going to be fit. Robin Smith had injuries and didn't play the final. England were were clearly a side that were vulnerable, but I don't think that Crow believed that without him as the the kingpin of New Zealand's batting, they were going to have the 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 depth to do the do the needful. So he had to make the gamble. He had to trust his players to to defend those runs and trust his physio to to patch him up and get him back on on one and a half legs if need be. Gaurav, I think you've mentioned uh, Crow's Crow's captaincy as well. There were apparently as many as, and, and the plans that he had, he keeps talking about this plan, especially while bowling. There were apparently as many as 17 bowling changes planned in, in that innings, which Crow wasn't part of. Yeah, and the, uh, I was just looking at some uh, stats. So leading up to the 1992 World Cup semi-final, at that point in time, uh, the highest, there were just two, uh, I think three successful chases, about 264 uh, in a World Cup match, which is basically out of which one was a Sri Lanka-Zimbabwe game, which happened in uh, the 92 World Cup, uh, which uh, was the highest score uh, chased at that point in time. And mm-hmm. there were two two chases by West Indies, both in 60 
video was uh, one against Australia in 1983 and against Pakistan, the famous 10-wicket win uh, in 1975. So, sorry, famous one-wicket win in uh, 1975. So, it's a, it's a gamble worth taking because it's not been done uh, too often. You, you actually look at that chase. Uh, it's not like Pakistan were cruising and they were always going to get. Uh, mm-hmm. If not for that cameo by Inzi, it was required and it was very hard. Even in this this era, it is hard. And uh, recently, I saw an interview with Dinesh Karthik, I think, on our site when he says that uh, the World Cup semi-final, the pressure is something which no uh, no cricketer will experience. Uh, he said in a bilateral tournament, all these targets will easily be chased down. But in the World Cup semi-final, it's a different ball game. So, everything was actually uh, in New Zealand's favour. So, yes, he might have had many plans, but he I'm sure he had one leg uh, in Melbourne uh, when he took that decision of not getting into the field. So, uh, you can't entirely blame uh, uh, Crow uh, for that because... Uh, it's like scoring 350 now and then you don't have your main captain. You would expect your bowlers to do the job. This is, this is what Crow said, okay? He was like, in, in his own words, I was the only one who knew the script clearly. But Miller, here, here's where I'm at. The person who led the side when Crow was sitting out in that second innings was New Zealand's most experienced cricketer at that point of time, John Wright. It's not like he was giving it to, to a rookie. <laughs> but it's fascinating. Just, just looking at the way that, um, like I say, the way that Crow had cobbled together um, New Zealand's run to to that semi-final. They had um, essentially the key part of their strategy had been options. You know, rotating their bowlers, rotating these slow bowlers. You know, they had Danny Morrison providing a bit of cutting edge with the new ball, um, or not, as the case may be, when once uh, Patel was was handed the honours. But uh, the the key mistake that I think Wright made was failing to bring Andrew Jones on as a sixth bowler because what's what, if you look at the look at the scorecards all the way through the their run, it, it was the, the tossing up of options and the and the and the you know burgling of overs in the middle overs, getting getting through three or four overs with with a change bowler going for a couple of runs when batsmen are still in a in a holding pattern, getting getting those overs out of the way and, and keeping options up your sleeve for when the big push came. I mean, actually, in the previous match. Uh, they obviously played Pakistan twice in three days because they were the final team they played in the group stages and obviously lost in Christchurch before going to the semi-final. But in that Christchurch game, they had nine bowlers in the in in the semi-final. I'm just to uh, pull up the sorry nine nine bowlers in the final final match of the of the of the group stages. Mm-hmm. I mean even Mark Great Batch bowled over and uh, they only used five in this in this crucial um, crucial time. Andrew Jones didn't get on and so they ended up with a situation where they had to rely on Chris Harris, who had been the bowler of the tournament by 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 a country mile for them. They, I think, he got 16 wickets all told. He was a uh, he was a leading leading wicket taker going into the going into the uh, into that match. But because they had run out of options, they had to use him in the fateful penultimate over when Moeen Khan smacked him for six and four and and sealed the deal. I think he, you know, Crow was. He, he, he's a guy who spent most of his life agonising about about everything. I mean, as as, um, as we all know, Sandip Bal, uh, our editor, was was became a great friend of his in 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 later life before his sad sad death from cancer a few years ago. But uh, you know, he he had did a great interview with him a few years back, in which Crow sort of admitted that that you know he 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 was just an unsatisfied cricketer all through his career. He was always striving for acceptance, always striving to be the best, always striving. For something untangible, and 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 he kind of found peace in his last few years when he realised that you know he'd, he'd done all he could, and 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 you know just I think he certainly enjoyed he was able to enjoy New Zealand's run to the 2015 final far more than he ever enjoyed their run in 1992 because he was able to just sit back, enjoy the ride, enjoy the spectacle. I think accept and recognise the, the the love that team got in so doing and I think he probably missed most of that because he was so focused on 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 the, the bits and pieces going into that tournament and so you know you can you can sense from the way he's talked about it since that he just he spent every minute in that dressing room watching John Wright's mm-hmm. decisions or lack of decisions and thinking stop it do what I need to do John uh, Wright didn't play the previous game right against Pakistan John Wright was not there in the previous group stage game against Pakistan that's right. He he he'd been injured. He he he'd been in and out of the side with injury all all uh, all along, and uh, 
So he came back. I think he'd only played three matches pro- previous to that. I think he got bowled behind his legs twice uh, for single figures and got a 57 in one. In fact, he was he was bowled behind his legs from the first legal delivery of the tournament, which is a bit <laughs> of a weird start to the tournament. Craig McDermott bowled two wides and then bowled right behind his, behind his legs with the third ball of the tournament. So it's a, an extraordinary way to begin a World Cup. Um, anyway, I digress. But you're right. He, Wright hadn't been an integral part of their run to that final four for injury reasons, but he was brought back because of his big match experience. And you know, I don't think I don't think Crow has necessarily sort of pinned the blame on him um, quite so forcefully. But I think secretly he says it's your fault. <laughs> mm-hmm. There was also this report that I read, I think, on our website itself, where. John Wright in the middle when he was captaining on the field in the middle of Pakistan's innings, he went up to the washroom in the pavilion and he and Crow had a chat. But Crow, uh, but Crow tried to tell him the plan or told him the entire plan. But then he went on to say that Wright didn't heed advice. But whatever I've come across, Miller, there hasn't been any sense of animosity, so to speak, between between Crow and Wright. No, I don't think so. I mean, again, it comes down, I think, to the uh, to the the need, I suppose, for, for, for New Zealand to, to pull together as, as, a, as, a, as a small nation without, without a huge number of superstars. They, they had to make do with what they got. And so, you know, Wright and, Wright and Crow had been, been through it all in the, in the 1980s. They, 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 they were two of the, the longest serving members of that side. And, you know, I guess you just, you just have to suck it up sometimes. And even if you disagree with your teammate, you've got to find a way to, to pull through. I mean, I mean, it, it's, it, 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 it's a difficult one for New Zealand. I mean, you know, as I've mentioned, Hadley had retired a few years earlier. And I think, uh, you know, there was there was no there were no expectations for them going into the mm-hmm. tournament. So I think I think fundamentally they just wanted to not embarrass themselves going from the outset. And then suddenly they hit upon this this cunning plan with Deepak Patel opening the bowling as a spinner was, you know, that was revolutionary. It, it baffled people. Although, funnily enough, it seems that Crow was was not going to do that in uh, of all the games for for that tactic to cease this was going to be one he 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 said he, he wrote afterwards that, that he would rather have had morrison just just charging in and 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 bowling traditional seam up almost as a sort of double bluff you know having you know pakistan I mean, Sahel and co perfectly capable of 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 dealing with with spinners and rabi raja got a good 100 against them previously so you know they they weren't they weren't going to be blown away by this tactic in the same way that that, that other sides had been and, and clearly it wasn't it wasn't a surprise anymore so so actually the notion of having Patel at that stage probably was something that Crow definitely wouldn't have done uh, but no the the biggest the biggest mistake that Crow still maintains is is the failure to get Andrew Jones into the attack at, mm-hmm. at, a, at an early stage because the other thing of course was was Imran Khan uh, the one thing that really really comes across loud and clear from watching the game back in full was, well, A, that Martin Crowe played an absolute gem of an innings, but Imran Khan played an absolute stinker. I mean, he was, um, he pushed himself up the order um, stealthily all through the tournament from six to five to four, and then ultimately to number three against, I think it was uh, yeah. Sri Lanka. Really as, 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 a, as a reaction to, uh, the, to imminent collapse, you know, they, they didn't want, didn't want his teams to, to get, didn't want opposition bowlers to get into his team early. So he put himself in as a, as a sort of stonewall defiance saying, look, I'm not going to get out until after the 30th over. Therefore, you guys at the other end have got a bit of license to, to relax, play your shots. And then ultimately, as we saw with the likes of Inzamam and Wazim Akram, who was, who was a gun and, uh, as a batsman at that stage, coming through in the final overs and really smoking it. And it was a tactic that clearly paid massive dividends in the final. But in the semi-final, I mean, that... That innings, I think he got 44 from 80 odd balls, and it was an absolute stinker. By the end of it, it, it was clear he was he he couldn't even get himself out. There was, it, it, he was there was one ball I think he tried to leg glance it, and it beat him on outside his front pad, but missed leg stump. I mean, I, I don't know how you get yourself in that much of a thankful <laughs> to the leg glance in front of your pads and not be bowled. It's uh, impressive, and then you know various other swishes and misses that that were just air shots and. Javid Mianda, you know, their 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 relationship is fascinating. I mean, obviously they're forever at each other's throats, and uh, you know the, the love, the ultimate love hate relationship among among teammates. But Javid was his gesticulations as a non-striker then were priceless. Just a, a bit of calm down here and a, and a, a throwing of the arms there, and and apparently when um, when Imran did finally get out, 
you got the scenario, I think it was um, Tony Gregg on comms clocked it, that at one stage, Jim Ryan is, is waving to the dressing room, signalling for a left hand to come mm-hmm. in. Immediately behind him, Javid signalling, no, no, give me another right hand. It's like, <laughs> these two were just born to disagree every step of the way, but somehow, you know, pricelessly, Pakistan got it together when it mattered. Um, but yeah, if, if, if Imran hadn't got out when he did, um, 44 and with, with, the, with the chase starting to, to waver, I wonder if even Inzamam's um, magnificent finish could have could have saved them. It was, you know, a bit of bittersweet dismissal that. And I wonder again, I wonder if uh, Crow might have been slightly more mindful to, you know, keep him running at all costs because mm-hmm. uh, stinky up one end, it's uh, they're, they're drowning in run in a mounting run rate at the other, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at the scorecard now. It was 44 from 93 balls is, is, is what Imran Khan scored. And Gaurav, I think you touched upon this before, but say Martin Crowe was on the field. Say he was there captaining, captaining the New Zealand side when Pakistan were batting. Could even he have accounted for Inzamam's brilliance, brilliance on that, on that day? I don't think so, but I don't think he would have let it, let the match slip away. And like Miller said, I'm sure there'll be a lot of uh, changes uh, leading up to Inzi's batting. And uh, where they would have maybe got meandered out, or uh, some, something would have happened because um, you you can't plan for such uh, knocks anyway. You know, these uh, at that that too. This was in '92. He was striking at about over 160, which is not something which uh, teams would have seen. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, pretty common. Uh, it was it was not common. And yes, uh, Eden Park was is a much smaller ground, but. Uh, even now, this uh, kind of uh, target which the Pakistan actually chase is not easy. So you, I don't think um, he would have. Uh, I won't say that he Imzam wouldn't have done what he's done, but maybe it would have been even more tougher that even if Inzi had done this, they would have still uh, lost the game. We have a series on our website where, which is called Alternative Universe. Listener, you can go check it up, where. Where we basically go against type and, and if something did happen. Now, Miller, this one's for you. You play alternative universe. Now, say New Zealand reached the final against England. Do New Zealand then win the World Cup? I think if Crow was fit, I think they would have come pretty damn close. I, I, mm-hmm. you know, I say this through gritted teeth, but England, as <laughs> mentioned, they were, they were a, they were a fading force. They had been magnificent in, in a very, in an oddly similar way to to New Zealand, they had they had found themselves a method in madness. Basically, I mean, basically it, tried, it, it centered around Ian Botham. As mentioned, Ian Botham had barely featured for England for five years. He'd he'd, he'd had a back operation in 1987, I think it was. He'd come back for the Ashes two years later and been appalling. He he had just about featured in the home summer. He he, he memorably scored the winning runs against the uh, West Indies in a in a test match at, at, at the Oval. I bet that was pretty much his only contribution to the game. Uh, it was the first time he'd beaten West Indies, but it, it was it was, it was was clearly this was his last hurrah. He, he'd hardly, he hadn't been on an England tour for two winters. England hadn't taken him to West Indies in 1990 or Australia in 1991. And he'd actually been doing pantomime. I, I actually went to see him. He, he was he was playing playing the king in Jack and the Beanstalk at Bournemouth, um, Bournemouth Pavilion, which is my, my local... A theatre in Dorset, and so I went to watch him playing playing pantomime as, as the king in Jack and the Beanstalk. And then two weeks later, he was on the on the plane going out to New Zealand to uh, to take part in the World Cup. And so, you know, he was. We've all seen the photos of him. We all know that he got a duck in the final, and you know, he didn't look like the the the, the lithe, whippy seam bowler or swashbuckling all rounder of old. But there was something about Botham's method in that tournament that had just just kept doing a job he 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 like uh, like harris he he'd gone in as one of the leading wicket takers i think he got 15 15 wickets going into the into the final um england's leading wicket taker most of them had been achieved basically by burglary he'd been uh, he'd been outfoxing his opposition by basically trading on his reputation as this map, as this incredible game changer he got four wickets and seven balls against against australia to basically condemn them to an early exit um, Alan Border was basically was one of those wickets, and he said afterwards, "There's just something about that bloke. He just he just destroys us every time." And he, he got uh, it was against India in England's opening game. He got Tendulkar. The only time he ever played Tendulkar in, in a in an international match, he got his wicket. And Vinod Kambli as well. Few few overs later, the two decisive wickets in in a close run, a victory to set England on the way. But 
he was knackered by the end of it. He, he hadn't exactly been looking after himself. There's a great, there's a great tale in Robin Smith's autobiography about uh, how on the eve of his 100th test, which he wasn't actually meant to play in, but uh, there were injuries had mounted up, he hired a helicopter to fly over the, over the Cook Strait in New Zealand from Wellington, went and spent the day in a vineyard. Uh, he dragged Smith with him to, and Alan Lamb as well. And they, they, they spent the day drinking in the vineyard and sampling every wine <laughs> possible. Got back in the helicopter, coasted into the team meeting at 6 p.m. on the dot, saying, look, I told you I'll be back. And then the following day, rolled out to play a test match. I mean, you know, what a legend. But equally, you know, at the age of 35 or whatever he was, the sort of stuff, the sort of stunts he'd been pulling throughout his entire career weren't going to last the full distance of a, of a tough campaign. And, and he was knackered by the end of it. Graham Gooch was was 40 plus and, and you know, magnificent number one player in test cricket. But again, he was starting to feel the pinch. I think, you know, to get back to the original point, I think England were there for the taking. And certainly, certainly you know, we saw what happened in the final was uh, a young and vibrant Pakistan just, you know, initially it was cagey. They required a bit of luck early on for, for Javid and, and Imran to survive mm-hmm. against Derek Pringle. But by the latter stages, it was it was a turkey shoot, and England never really got got um, got their foot back in the game after after probably bossing it for maybe I don't know the first forty overs of the match. I would say they were in charge, and then they, then it all all went haywire. Karthik, yeah. uh, I have an alternate ending for that. Okay, England batting first, score two forty one. Uh-huh. New Zealand chase, they are two forty for nine. Ian Smith is at the crease, and <laughs> He scores two runs and the match does not end in a tie. And then history repeats itself a few years later. That's my ending. Mm, Yeah, history does repeat itself. Exactly. Quite a few years later, in fact. But then, okay, going back to to, to Martin Crowe, we all all know him as as one of cricket's greatest batsmen, one of of arguably New Zealand's greatest cricketer. Miller, what was his legacy, though? At this World Cup in particular, at the 1992 World Cup, which which for a lot of people he is best known for. Yeah, well, I think again, I think a lot of it comes down to that 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 his personal quest for acceptance and love and respect. I mean, his his career to a degree had been in the shadow of Richard Hadley. I mean, his greatest innings, 188, was at Brisbane in what is still to this day Hadley's Test match. Hadley obviously got nine for and six for and. Uh, and beat Australia, and 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 you know he's renowned as 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 New Zealand's greatest champion. Uh, and Crow obviously was 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 every bit as important in that victory, but kind of overlooked. So I think you know, to say he he resented there the, was obviously a bit of a rivalry going on within the dressing room there. But to say he he this was his chance to step out of the shadow, maybe is probably probably the way to way to view it. And and he did. I mean, this this is the thing that. Uh, Certainly for me, I, I, I'm a little bit too young to have witnessed him in his absolute pomp. Uh, but I do remember watching him in 1994 at Lord's um, test match I attended, actually. And he scored a century basically on one knee. His, his knee was, was, was forced him to retire at ultimately age 33, which, again, who knows if he'd, if he'd be able to stay fit um, in every sense. Who knows what his legacy would, would, be, would be like um, with, with a longer career and obviously a chance to play in that final. The beauty, the majesty, the the game craft that he that he was able to able to bring bring to bear was in full full glory. Even though you know every shot at that 1994 innings, you could see him wincing afterwards. He was clearly in agony playing it. But there was there was a there was a beauty. I mean, I think um, Sambit again has likened him, and this is this is high praise. Uh, bear in mind what we know about Sambit, but he said mm-hmm. he likened him to Roger Federer in terms of his his, his <laughs> the lightness of his footwork. You know the, the 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 elegance, the presumption of where the ball's going to land, the the ability to just be one half pace ahead of your opponent in in every shot you play, and then to to play it to perfection. Um, that that's something that really came to bear. And you know, watching watching the way he was he was sweeping the spinners in in that in that Auckland semi final, he was um, you know he was just into position so early. And it, to a degree, you see this all the time now in this day and age with with the way that techniques of have, if not changed, then I suppose the prevalence of, of replays and the ability to study your opponent a bit more in this day and age just gives you a, an edge when it comes to one-on-one combat. But to judge 
to compare the way that, say, England played Mushtaq Ahmed in, in that final, they're absolutely clueless. Graham Hick uh, nailed by a, by, by, by a worldie of a flipper, but he wasn't alone in, in, in having absolutely no idea how to face leg spin. And then obviously Shane Warne cruises along the following year and we know what he was able to achieve. But there was a certainty to the way that Crow went about tackling the spinners that uh, almost nobody else that I've watched in this 1992 tournament was able to to um, to replicate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that yeah, the, the, his legacy his legacy was this was his this I suppose was his the one time that you know again New Zealand uh, it's their fate I guess to exist in the shadows to a degree in 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 the global conscience so people will pay attention when it's their them playing their team but when they're playing someone else you're destined not to really notice. But on a global stage, hosting a World Cup, being the front runners, taking on all comers and beating them, and then finishing as, as leading run scorer. Um, yeah, it was it was his it was his chance to shine and and and, and he took it. And that that I think uh, you know, even though he was tortured by the by the failure to reach the final, I think he could take a lot of peace from the fact that um, when pushed into shove he, he was he was brilliant. Gaurav, you are also of course because you are always here to bring stats guru to stump Mike. <laughs> now tell us about about Martin Crow. Is there, is there something about about him about his stats that that blew you away when you've looked at? It? Yeah, I think his performance in Australia and uh, scoring in Australia generally is not, uh, especially for batsmen, uh, uh, visiting batsmen is not that it's not that easy. We have one or two greats who have done very well, but Crow averages sixty six point nine two in Australia, which is really good and. Uh, for someone, there are only like two New Zealand batsmen who have scored more than 500 runs, which is Andrew Jones and uh, Martin Crow. He's hardly played in India. He's just played one series in 1995, so uh, which was very, very bad for him in the fag end of his career. I think I'm not sure why he missed the 88 or 89 tour to India, but uh, he, he never visited India for... Uh, I was actually curious to see how he did... Uh, uh, in India and in the subcontinent in general, but uh, that was slightly uh, disappointing. And um, the other interesting uh, stat, which I'm going to put it as a question to Miller. So obviously, uh, Martin Crow uh, was famously dismissed for 299, and only Don Bradman is the other batsman who scored 299, but he was uh, not out. So do you, by any chance, Miller, remember who dismissed Martin Crow? Well, I know it was against Sri Lanka. I can't. Uh, I can't recall. Exactly, you got him out. But I know it was the final over of the, of the match, I believe, and it was. Um, and I know that it, it gnawed away at his soul for the rest of his life. And until actually Brendan McCullum um, went and got his triple century against India a few years ago, and again that that was a was a cleansing process for Crow because you know, I mean, he he, he flung his bat and he and he sprocked and he tantrumed and 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 just basically it ate him up. Um, his failure to get over the line. But no, I, I must admit, I can't remember the exact identity of... Okay, of I, I, I'll, I'll give you a clue. Uh, he's not known for his bowling. We know him more for his captaincy and batting. Gosh, it wasn't surely not Ranatunga. Yeah, it is Arjuna Ranatunga. <laughs> so, uh, he's taken 16 wickets uh, and Kuro is one of them. Kuro must be really feeling really bad to get out to uh, wow. Ranatunga. That's a savage... <laughs> <laughs> and surprisingly, uh, in the first ever edition of the IPL, Martin Kerr was appointed as the chief cricketing officer. I didn't even know that position exists. Chief cricketing officer. And Martin mm-hmm. Kerr was the chief cricketing officer for RCB. Was, wasn't this where it all went wrong for RCB and the owner Vijay <laughs> Malia sacked, I think, Charu Sharma midway through the season. And yeah, yeah that, that was a mess. <laughs> Yeah, and obviously the uh, earliest version of your T20 cricket was Cricket Max, which was uh, da- which was uh, Martin Crow's idea. And uh, I remember watching mm-hmm. uh, clips of it uh, where Sachin used to play and actually had a good knock, if I remember. So, yeah, so this is about Martin Crow, and he was the first ever man of the series uh, in a World Cup competition. Only from '92 they started, and Crow was the first recipient. Hmm, interestingly, I think I read this on Wikipedia yesterday as well. So take it with a pinch of salt. I think at the age of when, when a few years ago, in fact, in, in the 2010s, Martin Crow wanted to make a comeback to first class cricket. I don't know how true this is, but he said, I have, I've played 247 first class games. I would love to make it 250. Yeah, I, I do recall him making a comeback. I don't think it lasted very long, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it, again, it was all part of his, his sort of lack of satisfaction at closure. And uh, I think he was struggling to struggling to to get the closure that he felt his, he needed 
at that stage. And um, yeah, I think it was a couple of games and 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 tail between his legs back to back into retirement. But, uh, but again, you know, that's that's the that's the thing about early retirement. He'd be forced to retire age 33 when you know you've got 77 Test matches. He could easily have easily have played 100 plus, and uh, there was there was certainly no one better than him waiting in the wings at that stage when, when he did finally call it quits. I mean, Stephen Fleming was was a rookie batsman still still the early days of his of his career when when, when he called it quits. And uh, I think I think it, I'm not sure he saw entirely eye to eye with Lee Jamon, who was who was captain at the time. He was obviously a bit of a bit of a, a cricket New Zealand stooge as a as a captain and I don't think um don't think uh, the, the politics uh, of New Zealand wasn't exactly um Sweetness and light. I mean, it's interesting. Is we talk about the various series that we've got going on in um, on cricket at the moment. So one of one of our um, one of our series, come to think of it, was talking about whether whether New Zealand have always been these these nice guys and, mm-hmm. and you know look down the history of New Zealand and, and self-evidently not. <laughs> they've, 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 they've had they've had some um, they've had some. Um, saucy characters, to put it mildly, down the years, and um, you know, in between whiles, Crow was 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 among the sauciest when 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 he wants to be. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's no there's no question that, that the legacy that legacy left is, is is one of immense caliber, but also just a tinge of of, of unfulfillment. It's just interesting that, uh, and ironically, in uh, 2015, uh, New Zealand uh, at the same venue. I, around a similar time, uh, in the first innings, New Zealand actually got their luck. If Crow got a hamstring injury in uh, 1992, they were helped by the rain, which came in the 42nd or 43rd over the South African innings. I still strongly believe that there's way, way less chance of New Zealand winning that game if the match had played out the way it had to in terms of full 50 overs, because South Africa were destined to score or uh, were perfectly set up to score in excess of 340, 350. So uh, they had their luck and they did uh, obviously capitalize it. They did win the semi-final, but unfortunately. Uh, they lost uh, the final. So, yeah, I guess uh, it's ironic that it happened in the semi-final. Yeah, yeah. And Martin Crow, of course, in the 1992 World Cup, finished as top scorer, was player of the tournament. In an interview to us, considering you mentioned that, Gaurav, before the 2015 World Cup, he said that, I hope we can go one step further. And, and, it's, and it's great to know that before he sadly passed away a year later in 2016, he got to see New Zealand reach a final of, of, of a World Cup. That was, that was Martin Crow for you. But let's move on to to some other failed gambles that that you guys can think of that that have happened in cricket over the years. But the, the first thing I think I think that comes comes to my mind. It's probably something small. It's maybe like India did India India opting to bowl versus Sri Lanka in 1996. I think that that didn't really work out well. I think that, that I think that was still okay because they managed mm-hmm. to get uh, they were at some point in time they were in a position to win the game. But one uh, one more case that comes to mind again involves John Wright, and this was in the 2003 final when India chose to field uh, against Australia at the uh, uh, World Cup final, and Australia managed to score a very very small score of 359. So uh, you know that uh, comes to my mind more than the 96 semi final. Mm, Miller, surely it's Mike Gatting for you and his reverse sweep in 1987. Yeah, I mean that's a great shout. I mean it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Because um, I actually I actually had reason to sort of uh, riff on that a few years ago. Obviously in in the in the Calcutta fin- final of the of the World T20, which I, I was there obviously for for Carlos Brathwaite and, and remembering his name and all that. But I don't know if, don't know if you remember the the way in which Joe Root got got out. He was reverse sweeping, and it was you know he he played <laughs> mm. gem. To, to revive England's hopes. Remember, they'd lost early wickets. They were basically trying to chisel together something resembling a defendable total. And he got to 50 and then pulled out a reverse sweep and, and, was, and, was, and was caught on the boundary. And, um, you know, on the one hand, it was a terrible mis, misjudgment. I think a wicket had fallen at the other end moments earlier. So of all the, all the times to try and gamble was that moment. But equally, you know, I, I, I still think that, 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 that Gatting was ahead of his time. To, to be honest, I mean, it would, you know, if if he'd come off, if that shot had found the back, found the boundary, no one would ever have talked about it again. The fact that it didn't come off is, you know, has, has, he's been labelled as as, as wrecked and throwing throwing the game away. But mm-hmm. you know, the one the one thing that is, that England have shown in in their success in one day cricket in recent years is that trusting the way you play 
is absolutely fundamental. I mean, Kevin Peterson was was probably the guy who who um, pushed this um, pushed this really over the line for them. That refusal to be cowed by the by the the threat of failure was actually what liberated him and ultimately England to, to achieve what they did in, in winning the last World Cup and getting so close in the 2016 final and and finally coming good in a way that they haven't come good in white ball cricket since the 1992 World Cup. Um, so to go back to Gatting, he was he was ahead of his time. I think I think if if he played that shot, you know certainly certainly in the 1996 World Cup when when you know the more expansive stroke play was was being recognised, um, people would have been would have been um, less frowned upon. You know, obviously mm-hmm. England were still were still pretty much the MCC on tour in those days, and it was clearly a book that wasn't in the MCC coaching manual, and therefore um, it was it was it was a horror stroke, but. You know, sometimes you've just got to find ways to manipulate the field and 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 create your opportunities. And unfortunately for him, he's he's remembered for the one that didn't come off. Yeah, and would would Lance Klusner going for that single against Australia in 1999 count as a failed gamble as well? You've got to remember the the context of that was what happened the previous ball when um, when Donald was nearly run out. If you, you recall, he was he, he he set off for the single. I think it was Darren Lehman was pouncing at cover and. The fact that Donald, Donald had sort of instinctively run meant that he, if the ball had hit, he would have been run out. And so the, that next ball, he, he, it was his duty to stay in the crease until the ball was clear of a fielder. Trouble is, Klusner, he was running to danger. And therefore, you know, if, if Donald reacted straight away, he'd been safe. But, but actually, it was Donald's, Donald's scrambled mind, not Klusner's, that was at fault on that occasion, in my opinion. Uh, Klusner, was, Klusner was, would have made it, did make it home easily. Uh, Donald had not been spooked by the fact that he nearly nearly run into that one ball earlier. Um, history would be different. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're doing this call on Skype, and I'm looking at Gaurav, and I know he's itching to get an MS Dhoni reference in. <laughs> so Gaurav, Gaurav, take it away, man. <laughs> when this is gambles failed, there are two gambles which I can think of, which I think as as fans you would have surely thought will fail. One is. Obviously, Joginder Sharma and the other getting Ishan Sharma, who had such a bad game in the 2013 Champions Trophy final. And boom, he gets two wickets and the match changes. And uh, in a way, it's good for England that happened because uh, they won the 2019 World Cup after the, losing that game. But uh, yeah, so I don't remember too many failed gambles from MS Dhoni. Mm, excellent. So, <laughs> yeah, on, on, on that note, we'll end this episode of Stump Mike. It's about Crow. It's about many things more. Thank you so much for joining us, Gaurav Sundaraman and Andrew Miller. It's been a pleasure. Great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, guys.